Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And uh, hey, no virtual background today, but it's all good. We're going to work through some of these technical difficulties. But I am super excited. If you're watching on YouTube, I am super excited because it's not often that you get to have a podcaster on your podcast. And when these opportunities come along, I love taking advantage of them. He is the host of the Causing the Effect podcast, and he's also a comedian. And it's an honor to welcome Scott Gazzoli to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Scott, how you doing today, man? I'm doing wonderful, brother. Monday morning, and my coffee. I'm ready to rock and roll. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing. I think it's so important, uh, particularly during this time. Uh, it's big stuff, man. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, man, it's my pleasure. Let's start here. And I've been asking folks for the last 16, 17 months that we've been recording the Intentional Encourager podcast. We started recording at the onset of COVID. And now as we record, there's a new variant, there's a, a still there's there's the resurgence of uncertainty. You're in the New York City area. Take me through the last 16, 17 months in your world, kind of what that's been like. What's going on now? Because I live in West Virginia. It's totally different than what you're going through up there in New York. But what have the last 15, 16, 17 months looked like for you and your family? Yeah, man. So uh, I would say that the news hasn't been good for any of us the last 15, 20 years with kind of the division. But I would say for the majority of what you're seeing in Manhattan. So I, I work in Manhattan, 34th Street across the, you know, next to the garden. Um, the city's gotten tough, very um, with the, the new marijuana laws coming into place with the cops not really, you know, they're a little nervous on what's going on. Um, crime has gone up. The streets do not look good. I would say that like the words about what New York City have become are true. Is it, is it, you know, I've been looking at secondary places just to kind of get a break because there's a lot of, there's no more cohesiveness with, between New Yorkers. There's a lot of divisiveness. My sister, um, I have two sisters that are NYPD cops. So that has obviously not been, um, you know, when, when the whole George Floyd thing was going on last year, it was scary. It was scary times. I'm having two sisters that are in the, the midst of everything. My mother's a nurse. So um, everything kind of hit me at home. But as far as what I started doing, um, I, I kind of enjoyed COVID. I hate to say that, but um, got an opportunity to kind of do the hybrid working approach model. Um, we figured out what really worked for my company um, and what didn't. And I would say I really wanted to, when, when I turned 30, I had this whole goal set up that I want to start a podcast and start comedy on top of my day job, um, February, 2020. Now, unfortunately COVID started, but fortunately COVID started. So it gave me a lot of time and opportunity to really figure out um what I wanted to do with my life and starting my podcast causing the effect was one of the premier purposes of my life. It's really very similar to yours where the goal is to, to give people more of a cohesive, expansive, subjective look of what is important in life. And particularly in New York, a lot of people are focused on money and power, particularly in the Western, just in the Western world, right? Men, power, all this stuff. And I'm not saying that's not important. You want to make your money. But um, as a kid, I spent six years in the hedge fund space. I made my money and that never connected with me. It was never something that was very 
you know, it just never connected with me. And um, being able to raise people um, through my podcast, through comedy, through um, my day job has been um, the experience of a lifetime for me. And I realize the biggest thing for me is connection and being able to be here with you in the moment, uh, helping people or outreaching people is what my life is about. And that's kind of what I've crafted my my life to be. I'm very architectural with my life and what I'm doing and spending my time and all this stuff. So it's become great for me. I think the hard part now is the uncertainty. Like we thought we're done with it. I'll tell you what, New York City's not getting locked down. They try to put a Delta variant onto it. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think at this point with COVID, um, people got to take a little bit of personal responsibility. If you're in those, if you're sick and you don't want to get the vaccination, stay home. Don't be around it. But you can't be locking down people who lost their jobs in hospitality and, you know, all these different sectors that have really been crushed for the last 15, 16 months, you know? Well, and, and Scott, I love what you said about connection. And, and my book, People Buy from, from People, that I released last year talks all about that. Connection is critically important. People that live in New York City are connected to New York City in a way that most people are not connected to their cities. There is a, and I was thinking about this the other day, okay? And, and um, let's go here for just a second. Thinking about this. Next month is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yes. And I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, for, and I have a, tw- a, a son that'll soon be 21. For our generation, for my generation, the, 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 and I was born in 72. So for, for the guys like me that are in their, their late forties, September 11th was the defining moment of our generation. Okay. I believe that COVID is going to be the defining moment for my son's generation. When they look back and they go and they, you know, it's 20 years down the road and they're having conversations with their kids, they're going to say, let me tell you about the time we went through a global pandemic. Like to me, that's where, whereas 9-11 was my generations. That's the one I've been talking about with my son. COVID will be what, he's talking about with his son. I want to get a sense from you about, you mentioned something really interesting, how the city of New, how New York city changed. You live close to Madison square garden. Um, man, I can remember last year when the big East tournament, the big East basketball tournament was there. They were playing a game. They got to halftime. And I forget who was playing, but they got to halftime. And all of a sudden, you're like, no, we're not coming out for yeah. the second half. They, they, it was it was totally shut down. The Knicks were gone, you know. And, and of course, the M- NBA came back this year. Um, but you guys have the Knicks. You have the Brooklyn Nets as well in the NBA. But the Garden is always where something is happening. There's a connection there. How do you feel as a New Yorker? Let me let me just go here for a second. How do you feel now about the connection to the city? Because you mentioned it, small businesses are, are have been wiped out. A lot of things you mentioned, taking a break and things like that. Talk me through the connection now or the disconnection that some New Yorkers might feel around what's been happening. I'm sorry for the long-winded question. No, I really want to make it. sure we, we dove no, in. No, no I appreciate that. No, I, I really haven't been able to talk about my New Yorkerness. And I'm like, just to give everybody a little background, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, I'm never leaving. I'll never never leave Brooklyn. Um, going to Manhattan every day for the last 10 years, I guess it's wears on you. But I would say, like, for example, you brought up 9-11. That was a 
like you said, decisive moment that changed the the spectrum of history. It brought everybody in the country together, particularly um, New Yorkers. What COVID did was split everybody up into this camp or that camp. So going through the situation of, of COVID, as you walk through the city, um, there has been sort of lines drawn. And if you work for a big company like um, American Express, or you've been work for a big company like Goldman Sachs, there's a push and pull going on between the, the authoritarian people, the, the people who want everybody to come in, and the kids who are sitting at home saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to come in. There's no need to come in. So I think there's the, the change, this change was happening, the hybrid working model from New York City. Like New York City was built on a bunch of rich guys saying, you guys have to come in, work 10 hours a day, come watch. That was never really necessary. This expedited a process that maybe even without COVID would have been there 20, 30 years from now. So this will end up being better, but there's just some type of volatility between what Cuomo is doing, between what the Blasio is doing. I'm not fans of either one of them that have separate, really separated um, the situation. Now, as far as the vaccine, there's something else we could. And this is part of the media issue. Well, right? hey, Scott, let me jump in there. Yeah. You you just said something really important because you, you were talking about, I think from people that are on the outside that look at New York City, they would say what you're describing, you were talking about coming in, working 10 hours, You've got that hour commute, maybe longer mm -hmm. for people that live in Jersey or people that live in other boroughs that that are that are going back and forth. It, it's not as as glamorous and exciting to somebody that visits and goes, man, there's an energy in this city. There's an excitement. There's a buzz. It's because we're not there day in and day out and not seeing a lot of the same things that you're seeing day in and day out. And, and what we get a picture of New York City. I, I, I can I can see what you're saying there, and I can picture it because having been to New York City a couple of times, there is a buzz there. If you go there in the middle of the day, there's a buzz, there's an energy, there's an excitement. It feels like there's always something going on. There's always something happening. And what COVID did to your point, once it was like, all right, everybody go home, just kill all the buzz in the room. And you know from being a comedian, that you need to feed off the energy of a crowd. You need to feed off of, of, of that instant feedback in the moment. And it feels like in a lot of ways, New York City is just dying a slow, painful death because of the decisions that have been made, not only by the mayor, but by the governor. Does it feel that way to a native New Yorker? Absolutely. And like, I'm the I never loved the the hustle and but like listen, I'm a worker, I'm a hustler, um, I'm built to make money. Like I worked in hedge funds for eight years, I got my CPA, MBA, all these good stuff. But for me, I, it always felt off going to have to sit in a tin can for an hour a day, sit with a hundred people on top of you. And now with this part that we're in of COVID, I think that's why there's even more uh uncohesiveness because now there's people on the train that aren't wearing a mask. You got to worry about the new Delta variant. There's just a little bit more scariness. The cops are, they're, they're doubling up on the, on the cops um, coming in and out. So it's been, it's been a change. And I, I do think, you know, the commercial real estate, which New York city was driven on, if you don't need people to go in, 
you know, those guys are losing tons of money. So you're feeling it also from the top. So my, my day job, um, I'm an advisor to ultra high net worth families and celebrities in Manhattan. So that's like my bread and butter is really dealing with the 1%. Um, I like making money from them. Do I agree with everything they do? But you know, these people do really control what is going on and who knows what, what you know, who knows the, the real ins and outs of the city. And, you know, most of them left, um, which that, that's why you see not a lot of jobs here anymore. And now everything's starting to kind of warm up with the hospitality, like restaurants took a beating. Um, usually um, a, a restaurant would get shut down every, you know, one out of every 10 restaurants work out in New York City. Now it's one out of every 26 or 27. So these are things that, you know, people have to start taking accountability for, for what's going on for people's life work. Like imagine I, I knew a couple people in the restaurant business that just started, saved up their money, were a sous chef chef, left their, left everything behind, saved money, started their job, a new restaurant, January, 2020 destroyed. There's no way to come back from that. Um, and the more you prolong what's going on, the more, the more tension that we see and that we feel. Um, and there is no more buzz, honestly, in New York City. Like I'm running around the city at night doing my comedy. I'm in there four days a week doing my work. Um, it's 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 just taken a little bit to, to to come back, you know? Yeah. I gotta ask this before we we take a quick break. You mentioned a, a moment ago you've got two sisters that are New York City police officers. Your mom's a, a first responder as a nurse um on the front lines. And and again, uh, my my hats off to them. Please extend our gratitude Thank you. Thank you. for what they do on a day in and day out basis. Because being a New York City police officer has been tough the last 15, 16 months. Not that it wasn't already. It's not the glamorous thing that you see on a television show. It's you know let's dispel that myth right now. It's not what you see on television. How is that? How have you coped with that? with people that you love dearly being on the, the, the quote, and I'm, I'm using air quotes for those listening, being on the front lines of what has been going on with COVID. It, it puts it all into perspective. Honestly, I would say the, the women in my life are tougher than I am. Thankfully. Like I, I was at home during COVID. I'm, I'm working from home, doing everything, you know, just phone calls and schmoozing. Um, you don't realize it until you're checking in with them every day. And I would say it, I've been checking in with, with both my sisters and my mother more and more than, than less. Now, now the COVID situation calmed down, which made me much more safe with my mother, but my sit, my sisters are still, in the, it, you just be it, the stuff that they see every day. Um, it's ju just, Hey, Hey, my, my sister's name is Sable. I was like, Hey Sable, how'd your week last weekend? You know, we found this dead body who the, you know, nobody was, was around this old man for a year. We had to go find the body and just these things that they, they go with every day. It puts into perspective, like, let me appreciate the cops even more. And I would say the cops now in New York city are not even, they're being more commonsensical I've ever seen. Like we're not trying to, to start trouble. We're not trying to pick, be nitpicky. When, when COVID was, um, overtook the city, there was nobody driving around. So cops would have to give out more, more extra tickets for whatever to make, to make money for the city. Now you're seeing cops just take a step. They're taking a step back, but in a good way where it's like we're just trying to really focus on the causation of trouble because these cops don't want to be in the middle of an iPhone, you know, getting videotaped or this or that. They're really, I think, um, trying to be the best version of themselves with everything going on, which I appreciate. But, you know, being a cop standing on 34th Street next to Macy's, you're getting screamed at by whoever just because you're wearing wearing the the um just because you're wearing the uniform, which it's kind of a backwards. I feel like I'm living in a bizarre world sometimes, honestly, with the way they treat the cops. No, I think that's a great point. And, and again, 
if we have law enforcement members listening, thank you for your service because, again, you keep people like us safe day in and day out. And again, Scott, my my utmost respect to your sisters and your mom for doing what they've been doing. Let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, we'll get a little bit lighter in the conversation with Scott. We'll talk about his podcast, Causing the Effect. Also talk about comedy. He talked about it just a few minutes ago. Something he's always wanted to do. We'll talk about that. My guest, Scott Gazzoli, host of the Causing the Effect podcast here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Scott, let's dive in. You you were talking about, and you and I have similar paths with this. Um, I've been told by people for a couple of years, hey, Brian, you got to do a podcast. Just start a podcast. I really didn't know what I wanted to start a podcast about, but March of last year, COVID provided that opportunity for extra time to start a podcast. What was the impetus for you? You had kind of said the same thing. Hey, it was a goal of mine to start a podcast by the time I was 30. What was the what was another impetus for you to do the type of podcast that you wanted to do? <coughs> Yeah, this is going to be a long answer, Brian. So, so, so buckle in. So, no, man, um, I'm good, man. I've got, I've got, I've got drinks next to me. Good. I've got good. a comfy chair, man. I am, I am buckled <laughs> in, man. So, so here's the situation. I would say my life was a series of, there's a lot of different pieces of it, but I have different chapters in my life. And I would say I, I've been able to get quickly through paths, for example, playing college football. I signed my letter of intent to go to Central Florida. I used to be 260 pounds, uh, strong safety, rock and roll, whatever. And um, the game before the my last game of the season of my high school career, when I signed my letter of intent, I blew out my ACL, MCL meniscus, completely tore it apart. And um, I think that was an opportunity for me to kind of do the right thing, get rehab. And, um, you know, when things get tough, I always kind of shot away from it. I didn't want to do my, my, my PT. I didn't want to, um, you know, when, some, when there was a curveball thrown at me, I always ended up kind of just quitting, to be honest with you. Um, this is my teens in my twenties. Now, um, I ended up getting a divorce at 28, 29. And if you looked at me on paper, um, in my mid twenties, I had a million dollar wedding. I was making tons of money. I looked like I was happy. I wasn't at all. And, um, on my 30th birthday, I decided I want to do everything that my consciousness wants me to do, that my inner soul, my inner wisdom is telling me to do. So there was a lot of introspection, a lot of meditation. Um, and I ended up coming up with not only running my day job, because I've accepted 
money's a, money's a, a piece that we need. I'm not going to go quit a job where I'm very lucky and very grateful. Um, but there's other pieces that I wanted to express. The connection with my podcast causing the effect gives me something of a deeper meaning and purpose in my life. A, to help people that potentially aren't exposed to some of the topics I, I discuss. That being, what I try to do is give everybody a 360 degree view of just pieces of life. And I would say break it up into your mind, body, and spirit, your body being fitness, your body being nutrition. So having typical people on bodybuilders, sports performance specialists, coaches, um, people that could really tune in on the mind. I've been since football, always into fitness. That's all, that's what I do. I'm a crazy person. I'm up three, three in the morning. I have a morning ritual where I'm breaking out. I'm giving time for myself five or six hours. And that way I can give everything else to other people. The mind piece is more, I would say, psychology, wisdom. I'm bringing neuroscientists on. I'm bringing people on that just expose that part of psych psychology with why do you think the way you think and trying to kind of let people stop working on an unconscious path, which I think in today's world is what's going on. You're seeing people kind of just let me, going. Let me jump in here. Okay. Because you had me at football. <laughs> I am for those watching at home, I, I'm revealing my Cincinnati Bengals Drink oh, boy. Uh, I, I am a huge football fan. I went to Marshall when, when Chad Pennington and Randy Moss and Byron Leftwich and all those guys were there. So I, I'm, you, you mentioned football. I, I, gotcha. I can, I can go there. I, I can go there with you. Football does those things you're talking about. If you know, and here's the example. You know, and, and I'll bring up a guy like like Penning, like Chad Pennington, which you guys got to see in New York for, for many years as a quarterback of the New York Jets. We saw him here at Marshall, where I went to school. The thing about Chad Pennington was that guy was so smart, even in college. Other teams were playing checkers at times. He was playing chess. He was six foot four. Okay, so he had the body part down. Now, at Marshall, still a tad lean. He mm -hmm. gets to the NFL. And, and, and I got to meet Chad for the first time when he was playing for the Dolphins after he left the Jets. He was all shoulders and all thighs. I mean, the NFL just bulked him up. And so the body part was there. And the spirit, you know, Herm Edwards always talked about Pennington being probably one of the greatest leaders that he had ever been around. Because again, how do you expect guys to, to let you lead them into battle as the quarterback of the team? If your spirit's not there, if you're jogging into the huddle going, all right, guys, coach call to play. I have no idea if it's going to work, but yeah, let's run it anyway. No, you, you sell that thing. You go, okay, 65 trips, right. Uh, Z fly on two. ready. Come on, mm -hmm. let's go. And you call the play with confidence. You break the huddle with confidence. And whether you're under center or in the shotgun, you, you take the snap with confidence. If your quarterback doesn't have any confidence, you don't want that guy back there because you're going to lose 80 to nothing. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to throw it somewhere. You guys just go get it. I love what you said there. What was one thing you took away from playing football that's helped you as a podcaster? Oh, I think that the, the consistency for, for sure, you know, showing up every day and, and you know, make it, I think that's where I started to figure out the connection was a big piece for me because, you know, you have a team, 50 guys, um, but but like how you were describing that Chad Pennington-ness, right? Like I 
realized, um, I would say I was Chad Pennington of my defense. So captain four years, all that, that great stuff that, you know, I was a, one of those lunatics on the field, but I would say undersized for a linebacker, six foot, two, two thirty, two forty. not athletic, but not the most athletic, but I said I could be smarter than everybody and I could be a leader on defense. So being able to, to be like a leader and just like, I just knew what it was and I knew what the team needed. I was the guy I was like, we, you guys can trust me in every moment. I think that's, it just taught me like an interpersonal relationship as, as a commodity. Honestly, I was like, wow, I could, people tend to like what I'm putting out there because I'm trustworthy and all this stuff. And this was the beginning of, of connection, I would say. And that was just the first piece of that connecting to people on a different level. It's like, wow, you could really influence entireties of people without doing much, right? Just showing up putting your best foot forward and then be, being a leader by example. That was, that was it for me. That's as far as that went in the huddle. I was, you know, guy calling the plays, all that stuff. But that's exactly what, what my football career felt like. And, you know, when you, when you go through an injury like that, my 350-pound my lineman fell on my knee. My knee went like this the other way. So I, I could have came back from it. It would wouldn't have been easy. I kind of quit. I, I didn't um, – decided to go to school in New York, being in my mother, being in my, my family, study hard, accounting, economics, all this good stuff. So it just put me on a different path that was probably better off, but that was always a regret. And that's why I wanted to look at the things in my life where I always wanted to do them. And now I'll never give up my podcast. I'll never give up comedy. These are things that are innately in me that were just on that journey. And, and that's something else I realized while doing my podcast and comedy. It's like, it's really about the, the, the process is the, is the destination. It, it's really about the, the being in the moment with you right now, being in the moment with, with, with comedy on stage. Like when you hit those moments, those are the hot, when you look back, those are the highest, the highest of highs for me. I've got two questions before we go to break around that. First of all, I love, I, I love how you describe that because again, uh, man, those are, those are, are hard. I, being a Bengals fan, watching Joe Burrow get hit in the knee last year, tearing his ACL. It's like, oh man, why? But you know, it, it happens. Football's a one play game. I mean, you're one play, you're one play away from having your career or season ended. If 30 something year old Scott could walk into the hospital room and see 18-year-old Scott just having had knee surgery on your ACL and MCL, what piece of advice do you think you would have given yourself as you walked into that hospital room? You're, 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 you just had surgery. You're thinking, oh, man, this is what, – what, what advice would you, have given you, would you give yourself if you could go back and, and talk to 18-year-old Scott? Uh, I mean, I, I, would, I would tell him – it's not as bad as you think. These things are the things that will define you. So I used to look at when something bad used to happen to me. I used to just, I would look at it like the Titanic hitting. And that was the way I handled, um, I never handled stress or pressure or, or just the adversity well. Now, when something bad happens to me, people think I'm out of my mind because I'm like, good. Like that is what, that is what will make my path harder. So I would tell him that this will be the path that gets you where you want to go. And, you know, I would say to add to that story, three weeks before that, uh, I went to the Briner Lacquer Linebacking School Camp. So they sent a top 150 linebackers to, to, from uh, around the world, you know, the United States to New Mexico State. And you're there with, you know, my class was ridiculous. It was Arakpo, Cushing, Clay Matthews. And when you see that going on, like top speed, I could have kept up. But when you see those guys 
on the juiciest of juices, the Mexican supplements exploding off the line. It was something else. So I would probably also tell him like, listen, these guys are all, you know, they're cheating a little bit. You probably should have done a little extra to get there, but it's, you know, that was, I was always comparing myself. And that was something I would say also to young Scott, don't compare yourself. Cause nowadays I don't even think about anybody else. Um, in that sense, it's just about being better than the person I was yesterday. Yeah. I got to ask you this real quick before we take a break. Has there been an aha moment in a conversation that you've had with somebody, or has there been one of those moments that you go, man, th this is why I got into podcasting. What have you learned about yourself being a podcaster that you said, man, I didn't realize because there are unintended benefits to everything. I mean, you, you just talked about guys that were a step faster, you know, a, a step more explosive. And you talked about three guys in, 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 uh, Brian Arakpo, um, uh, Brian, I think his first Brian, name is Brian, Brian Cushing, Cushing Clay, Matthews, and yes. Clay Matthews. Yeah. Clay Matthews. And probably Matthews had the most stable of the career of those three guys. Cushing played for a while in Atlanta and, and kind of flamed out, but Clay Matthews really played a longer period of time mm -hmm. at a, at a higher level for the green Bay Packers. But what did you, in that moment where you're describing it, it's like, okay, this is what these guys have. No wonder they went on to play in college. No wonder they went on to play in the NFL. When you think about podcasting and what you've done in podcasting, what have you learned either about yourself or about podcasting that's gone, oh, man, that's brilliant. I, I didn't realize that would be an unintended benefit. I mean, there – there's been so many unintended benefits to my podcast because this, when you start a podcast, I think people think you're doing it for, for, you know, you're kind of focusing on the, I would say I focused on the wrong pieces. You're worrying about making it the best for the audience. You're really worried about the audience, which is great. But for me, the aha moments happen when it's like you sit and, and have a conversation with somebody for 45 minutes and you come out of it like, like almost like therapy. And that's the way I look at podcasting now. It's like self-therapy for me because what we're doing is inflecting our thoughts on each other. And then when I inflect a thought on somebody, they give me back in a different way. So I'm always seeing, it's really expanded my mind on another level. Cause the reason why I started podcasting was I wanted to get this osmosis that I felt from Jay Shetty's podcast from Joe Rogan's of just expanding my mind. And it happens so much more during a podcast that I would tell anybody who's thinking about, it, I always do it. I, you know, my girlfriend does it now of like, it really is the things that you get out of this as far as these little tidbits of socializing, this is what life is about for me. It's, I mean, this is what we all need, right? Human beings need connection. This is something we yeah. discussed earlier, but it's such a cool thing that, and then, when, then you know, people who are in podcasting, if, when you don't have that first year under your belt, it's like, I suck. I have to, I can't get views. And then once, if you stay consistent with, with things, same thing I learned for football. That was an aha moment. I was like, wow, but football, it's the same, it's the same stories over and over again. Being consistent, showing up, giving hundred percent, being prepared. The same things. If you just keep doing that consistently, the results come, man. Well, everybody believes that you're gonna make you're gonna be Joe Rogan and and Spotify is gonna buy your podcast for hundred million dollars. Those are the the one tenth of one percent yes. of people that do it. I, I would piggyback off of that, Scott. And I would say your end game in podcasting should be the great people you meet from podcasting. Absolutely. People that I've had on as guests have become friends. And, and to me, that's the beautiful part of podcasting is the people that you get to become friends with 
that go, hey, man, I told somebody you need to be on their podcast or I told somebody you need it. You know, it, it's it's just this beautiful connection and this network of people that are just telling these incredible stories. And I podcast because I feel like somebody's going to hear your story and go, man, I was walking that same path. Maybe somebody's listening to this podcast and goes, man, I was a high school football player too that that had a chance to go play Division One college football. And I got that. I, I, I had the same thing happen to me. I hurt my knee. And it's that connection. It's it's you don't know them. They don't know you. But man, you're now all of a sudden through a conversation that they hear they're connected. And I love that, man. That's that was a beautiful explanation to that. Oh, so, yeah, yeah th that's man. really why I do it. And like the deeper meaning to go a little philosophical here. It's like the, the Egyptians called it the logo. So the Pharaoh was always the person that was the most rational. So if you look at the, the Egyptian civilizations compared to us, like I said earlier, New, particularly New York is about money, power, put on the suit. And I, I live that life and I'm lucky enough to have made money to go, man, eh, that doesn't, it's nice. And I, I'm grateful for it, but it's not the answer. I, I try to take my podcast and focus on rationality with people. So when I have people on, it's people not only that I know are good people, but I know that we could have a connection and we could have an open, honest conversation. So I, I've, I've learned in the last two years from podcasting, the easiest way for me to, to lift myself is to raise everybody else. So that's, you know, my feedback from like from kids in New York, to, you know, I would say my demographic is 18 to 28. And, and what I try to do, what I would, you know, people say that you need to have a niche in a podcast. And I don't really consider my podcast a niche because it's just me expression of myself. So I'm into neuroscience. I'm into psychology. I'm into football. I'm into comedy. I'm into a lot of different things. So what's, what's happening is having a bodybuilder fan that's listening to me talk to a Buddhist getting into meditation to focus on their mind helps them with their bodybuilding. And then a person who's into Buddhism realizes fitness helps them focus more through the meditation. There's a lot of just kind of bouncing things off each other that I think is beautiful that we're that's going to be needed in today's world because you're seeing a lot of, like we said, tension, a lot of tension is going on. And yeah. there's a weird, this is a weird time in life where there's, there's ancient wisdom from the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita, like whatever. Then you have um, the modern technology we could use for um doing yoga from home. Then you add technology on top of everything. It's an interesting time for everybody's awareness to be, to be raised. And I do think we're going through a renaissance of sorts that people are going to need these tools to get through all this tension, all this, what is true. You can't just turn on the news anymore. Listen, listen to, to Walter Cronkite and, and believe it, right? We have to pick, you have to be smarter. You, yeah. have to be a, you have to be a real critical thinker to understand what is going on in the world. You can't just listen to, to Fox news anymore. It just doesn't work. I, I love that because yeah, you, you're, you're hundred percent right. Is, is what's happened is there is a rush to be the first instead of a rush to be right. Yes. And so now you, you know, you, you're, you're hearing all this information and you're trying to disseminate it in your mind because you think to yourself, okay, who's playing me today? Who, who, you know, or it, it's, and I'll say this and we'll step aside and go to break. It, it's almost like a coach, a, a defensive coordinator. Here's what it's like. A defensive coordinator, the quarterback comes to the line of scrimmage. They've got the play called. And, and he looks and he sees a 4-3 two safeties high. And then so now the quarterback's going through his cadence. Then all of a sudden the safety starts walking up mm -hmm. or the safety starts walking up and then maybe 
he was he was gonna you know walking up like he's gonna blitz and all of a sudden he, he he drops back at the snap of the ball. Now everything has changed. What the quarterback thought he was seeing is not what he's seeing at all. And and I'll I'll I'll, I'll mention this real quick. And I promise we're we're gonna pivot here in just a minute. I was listening to an interview with Joe Burrow. He was talking about a play last year when 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 they played the Colts, and he said. I saw something I hadn't seen before. It looked like the Colts were walking their two linebackers up as though they were going to blitz. And then at the last minute, they dropped the linebackers. Mm -hmm. And he said, it threw me because I hadn't seen that before. And he said, I threw a pick in the middle of the field where that linebacker was because going back, he, he said later on when I watched the film of that game, I went back and went, I could have done this. I could have checked to this play. When I saw these guys walking up, I could have checked at that moment. We had plenty of time on the play clock. I could have checked in that moment to another play that would have been more successful. What's happening is, is the news media is walking things up and showing you one look while doing something completely different. And we've got to be like a quarterback and go, uh-uh, I'm not falling for that. And I, I that was a great point. I wanted to expound on it just a little bit more when we were talking about football. Those of you that don't like football, you you might have tuned out for the last three or four minutes. <laughs> guys like guys like Scott and I that love football, we probably were just, you know, all we're day. all in it at that yeah, moment. Do it all day. Yeah, let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Scott's athletic career I want to get in more of his life. Scott mentioned going through a divorce. Um, I, I want to talk to him about his life and his story. Um, fascinating conversation so far. We've got more of it coming with my guest, Scott Gazzoli, host of the Causing the Effect podcast. You come back here on the Intentional Encourager podcast in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up, Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Scott, let's dive into your life story. Um, you mentioned being a high school athlete. 
Was athletics something you always did as a kid? Were you a baseball player, basketball player, football? Did you concentrate on football? Take me as far back as you want to take me from point A to where we are now. Yes. And this story is going to get, uh, this is going to get interesting. I'll tell you right now. So uh, I would say basketball and football were like my two go-tos. I always played baseball too, um, but basketball and football were like my, um, that's why I signed my, my letters in high school, played at a very good sports high school. Um, I would say basketball, I, I was built to be a big man. So I, I've been six foot since sixth grade. So I was 230, 240, building my big man game. Everybody started growing and I didn't. So that was a slight issue. Um, what happened was, and I'll, I'll take it before that. Now, people just buckle in here. So this is, this is my childhood, which uh, sounds like a Martin Scorsese movie. So my father was never around um, as a kid. He was here and there, but um, from the ages of, let's say, four to eight, I spent some time with my father and, you know, kid from Brooklyn. My dad was, we had money. We were wealthy. Um, I thought him and his father were in the coffee business. So you would go right over here, over by Brooklyn Bridge, and you'd walk in, there were stacks of coffee cans everywhere. And you were like, wow, business is good. I'm going to just run the coffee business at some point. Uh, my father was not selling coffee. He was selling uh, another delicious white treat that got you jacked up, cocaine. So my father ended up um, getting clipped by the FBI. He went into the witness protection program. Um, and these are things that I, I found out about three years ago from my grandfather, who he actually put in jail. So my father, rattled, my, my grandfather put him in jail. And I would say there's, there was heavy uncertainty as, you know, once my father left from like eight to 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So from there, I would say cause of the uncertainty you're looking for. We spoke a lot about connection. That's what, why I think I connect with with male so well. I think I love that camaraderie because I didn't have that. And I do think that's part of why my podcasting is catered a little bit more towards men. I always end up trying to be, be a big brother or a father figure to people because I didn't have that. I got to ask you and, and pull a little more conversation out of that. You, you mentioned your grandfather. Talk, you kind of filled in the gap for you with, with your dad. How... How was their relationship with each other? Because you, you mentioned your father basically, and, and I'm going to use this term in air quotes, ratting out your grandfather. How was that dynamic like? Was it was it harder for you? Was it easy for you to go to your grandfather? Was was there that still that that grandson, grandfather bond? How did that dynamic between him and your dad affect you and your grandfather or you and your dad? So I didn't, I never met my grandfather until three years ago when he got out. So he ended up getting out and I never knew what this was going on. And I think no matter what your the people in your family tell you or whatever, you, you still get that daddy didn't want to be around feeling right. Regardless of the situation. Now, knowing there's witness protection involved, he changed his name, blah, 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 blah. It does give me a little bit of a feeling that's better. But at the same point, um, I never got along with my father. I would say he was always focused on making money and not really being a dad, not being, he was always focused on the wrong things for me. So I've always lived my life just doing the opposite of what my father does, which is probably weird because a lot of people try to emulate their father, but that's really like the benchmark that I used, um, throughout my life. And then I ended up 
finding that male camaraderie with we have uh, eight guy cousins between 18 and 42 and we're like we're like a, a boy band like we're the closest we're super we're super tight we were spent uh spend every sunday together so that i think these are like off puts of not having a father and trying to fill that masculine cup with confidence and with camaraderie connection those pieces that i think a lot of people just like i don't know what it's like to have a father i don't understand it but i try to fill the pieces of that like on that metaphysical level you need that archetype of who to be and who to act like was athletics your your kind of opportunity to make your own name for yourself did you feel like did you feel like that 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 you were going to be like look man I don't have a great relationship with my dad. My dad's non-existent in my life. In fact, my dad is another person, literally, mm -hmm. because of going into the witness protection program. I would have to think, and I'm, I'm trying to put myself into that situation. I would have to think, and, I, and, and, and if I'm assuming here, correct me, but I would have to think that a lot of guys in that position go, look, I don't care what my old man did. I'm going to make a name for myself and I'm going to do things that my dad did because my dad is not the dude, you know, that, that fathered me. He may be biologically, but that guy is gone because this new person exists. And, 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 and I think a lot of times guys, especially want to say, look, I want to be my own man. My dad was very involved in my life, but there were a lot of times that I said to myself, I've got to be my own man. I have got to be my own man. No matter what, I've got to be my own man. And I've told my 21-year-old that. I said, look, man, be your own man. I, I, I don't care what, what happens in life, be your own man. Was there ever that moment for you, Scott, where you said, I have got to be my own man, regardless of what happens to my dad, what happens in life, I've got to be my own man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what began, not my distaste for power and money, but just like realizing that that's not the the end-all, be-all, right? So I, I, I would say that th there's a lot of differences between me and my father that you kind of find out about, but, you know, you still have those genes, right? So I would like, what I found in football was it just let a lot of tension out, a lot of anger. After I went through my, uh, my, my um, you know, my, my injury, I picked up the drums, um, which is something my father did as a kid. And we had uh, me and all those guy cousins. We formed a band. And that was kind of another pinnacle in life where it was a chance to go on tour, to take the East Coast tour. You know, we were performing Bowery, all these good places. But my mother said, listen, if you do this, you know, we're going to have an issue with school. So I had to pick between schooling and then kind of taking a shot. And I would say, again, we ended up taking the easier way out and quitting on the band and just going to school and doing the, the normal stuff. So it, it just, that's that pattern of always getting very quickly somewhere, but then right when it gets a little difficult, you have to make a hard decision, pulling back. And that's, that was always the theme, the story of, of my life. So I, I was just, i still am, right? We're all still trying to kind of figure out these waves of what is the truest version of myself to put forward. And that's kind of what, you know, I always looked at it like, oh, well, you have to be a football guy. You have to be a drummer. You have to be a spiritual guy. Now I realize like, that's what makes me, me is being the guy who's a fitness enthusiast, a spirituality enthusiast. I love football. I love music. I love, I love all these things. And that's, what's so diverse about me. And what gives me the confidence to kind of walk through my day and like jump on, you know, I'll have scientists on, I'll neuro brain scientists on. It just gets me going to, to learn and, and have that kind of growth mindset, you know? Well, and, and again, sports are the ultimate high for a lot of people. 
sports just, you know, you have that talent to be able to play. And I didn't play at the level you played. I was a high school baseball player. Yeah, I made the team. I contributed a little bit. You know, that that's the story of my life. My son did more in his high school career than I did playing sports. But again, you feel like your worth is in what you're doing. You know, I, I'm a division one athlete. I am this or I am that. When take me through that that process you were going through, because I don't know what that li- that's like to get recruited to play division one college football. What was that like for you to to go through the recruiting process and go, okay, UCF is the school for me because man, they've had some tremendous success in the last 15 years or so in, in college football. I mean, in this small school in Orlando, Florida, mm-hmm. they have had a lot of success in, in college football. Was was UCF kind of, did, did it did just kind of fall in your lap? Or you, when they started recruiting you, you were like, man, it's Orlando. They play some big-time football. That's where I want to go. What was that process like for you, Scott? Yeah, so I would say I I was just stuck, dead stuck on on uh, on Florida for some reason. You know, party schools. I wanted to be in the you know in the in the summer. So I had options for UCF. Gave me the best deal, right? Because I always had my um, I was one of those kids that was very good on the academic side. So APIB schools, it just sounded good to bring me on because you only had to give me a half scholarship and the other half would have been academics, right? So it was between UCF, which was everything was free, all that good stuff. Then you had Miami, which obviously a different level of schooling there that would have been like walking on trying to make the team then you had um south florida which i would say was even tougher at that point not as tough as miami and then the the other easy option would have been Rutgers, which that was coach um i developed a relationship i don't know coach Ciano. yeah um Gershiano, obviously you know big, big name that was kind of one of my mentors and, and now he's back at Rutgers after yes. after spending some time at at Ohio with State. the tampa bay buccaneers and yeah, at Ohio State. Yeah, it, and for for a hot minute, was going to be the head coach of the University of Tennessee, and that kind of fell apart. But yeah, Greg Schiano is a name very recognizable to college football fans. Well, so you were talking about Florida, and and, and it would, I think you're exactly right. It would have been easy to go. Okay, I can go to Rutgers. I can play an hour or so from home. People that I love can see me play. They play at a high level. Of course, now they're a Big Ten school. Mm-hmm. Central Florida, Miami. What ultimately was it for you that that decided where you landed? Because a lot of guys might say, Scott, yeah, I could go to Miami, and man, Miami is the place. I mean, Miami's an ACC school. All these dudes get drafted in the NFL. I mean – they have a litany of guys. I mean, they have Hall of Famers that have gone through the University of Miami. I admire you for thinking, really thinking deeply about what was most important for you because I think a lot of guys in your position would have gone, man, let's just go to the U, baby. Let's just go to the U and let's go there because if I want to play in the NFL, that's going to be the route that I'm going to go because they've got all these dudes that play in the NFL. Ultimately, for you, what was it that that pushed you over the top to get to select UCF? 
you know, when you go to, I, I, I'm always the guy who wants to be, uh, I always wanted to, I wanted to expose myself to something different, right? You want to put yourself through the, through the uncomfortable positions, but you also wanted to be a little bit of a, I, I always felt more comfortable being a bigger fish in the smaller pond in Miami at the U it's a different level of talent. It's just, it's just that. So, you know, meeting the team lining up who, you know, for example, I think I was like a, uh, maybe a three and a half, four star recruit, something like that. Everybody on that team was five stars. Um, knowing, I just always liked some of the guys from Central Florida, Dante Culpepper. Um, Brandon Marshall went there for a year before he ended up ended up leaving. And my year was uh, Blake Bortles and then um, a linebacker, Kevin Jones. Uh, I mean, a running back, Kevin Jones. He played on the lines for a little bit. And we became close with some of those guys. Um, and just the people, I would say, is always kind of what I follow. Not that, not that anything to knock the U. I just think it would have been more competition and more of a struggle to get to where you want to go. Now, in the end, um, it didn't matter because I ended up blowing out everything anyway, right? Because once you once you hurt, have a significant injury or you have surgery, there's certain clauses that, you know, you don't get guaranteed to get on the team, this and that. So from that point, you know, I had, I had probably like 12 months to decide, like, am I just going to go? This was before, um, I would say that's, that injury now would probably took 12 months back then would have been, uh, 15 to 18 months. So I, I said I would still have to put in this work for 12 months and then work again and then join in sophomore year, redshirt through the whole thing. But it ended up, I ended up taking the easy way out and saying, ah, you know, it's not worth it. I'll do my PTC, how I felt. And in reality, you're never the same. But for me to say that three or four months in after a significant injury like that was not fair to me. And, you know, yeah. I, I would, you know, you can get back 85, 90%, probably would have played and all that stuff. But I, I really do think like, that was just a piece, and this is the way I look at everything that, that's happened in life. It's just like a, it was like a chink that I add to my armor now. Like, well, that was that was that football chapter, and that I needed to go through that to, so I can get here now today, podcasting it, and have that these stories to never quit, to keep yeah. going. Because then, you know, podcasting gets tough. Comedy, I can do football for thirty years. Comedy, when you bomb once, man, it just well, and and again too, yeah, and, and again too. You know, I'm thinking as you were talking about that. Uh, there was a, a guy that played at UCF a few years ago, a guy named Mackenzie Milton, who was a quarterback, yep. who, who had a, 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 not that your injury wasn't significant, but, but he actually tore, I, I believe he, he, he tore something, um, maybe torn art. I think he tore an artery as well, too, with his knee injury. It was, I mean, I, I remember watching the play and it's like, man, this is not good at all. And and the young man has come back. I think he ended up transferring, did a grad transfer and things like that. But people do not understand your point about college football because we watch it on Saturdays. And, and one injury in high school changes everything for a kid because you may be going to Georgia or Alabama or Florida or a, a big-time program, and then you get an injury and they're like, listen, um, we don't know if you're going to be able to help us or not. We're going to move on to somebody else. That's, it's that's the reality of, of division one, even at the, at the, the, the UCF level, the Marshall level where I went to school, even on that level, they're going, yeah, you know what? We need guys to come in and compete. And we don't know if you're going to be ready to compete. We need to move on to this next guy for you. I, I got to ask one more question around that. And, and I want to move on to, another part of our conversation for you was that hard for you 
getting recruited, feeling the love, and then in a moment, them going, yeah, we're going to move in another direction. How hard was that for you to process? Uh, it was it was tough. And I, I would say you, you take that and the things I was doing, I was, you know, you're a kid in high school, right? You're always drinking a little bit, but the drinking got up and you, you, you have that sense of, you know, you lose confidence, you lose rejection, you lose your sense of identity, right? And you see this with, with a lot of people, even, you know, a lot of, I'm a big UFC fighter. I mean, a big UFC fan. Um, you see these guys who just, they're so attached to that identity where, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, like if I was 22 years old, played football for five years, I may have lost myself completely just in that identity, but it hurts. And and you kind of find ways to cope with it. I don't have the coping mechanisms now that I did back then of my meditation and my, my daily ritual. This like an hour and a half of my mind focus. Then I go to my body. But um, I think, I, I think it, it, it's, it's for, for a young person understanding that it's probably better to learn it sooner rather than later. Cause even, you know, you go to the hedge fund industry in New York city. I was always around this type of world. Like, listen, you're kind of, and this is what makes you, you realize like what's important, right? You're, you're busting your ass every day for people that would drop you in a second, right? So I yeah. always put more, I'm one of those people that I tell my guys that, that work for me, look, listen, we're, we're in this together, but like, remember, it's just a job. Don't kill yourself. Your mental health comes first, but all this stuff that you're seeing come up nowadays. So you mentioned earlier that you go through a divorce um, and, and that, that always is a traumatic thing to, to go through something like that. Take me to, and I'm sure that's part of the post football and things like that. Yep. Take me through that next part of your life where you go, where you walk that journey. Um, obviously, you end up. Where did you end up going to school? By the way, when when you, uh, St. John's, St. John's, up, right St. John's, a fantastic school. I mean, you know that that what what a good fallback plan. I mean, to have to go to a great school like St. John's. Right. Right. And it's kind of changed everything of like, you know, because what would happen was my mother was always against me doing football after I took um, a bunch of IQ tests that were like perfect scores. So my mother had this in her brain. Like she has he has to be the one who makes money and this and that. So right after football, she was like, you could do it. You're doing it. You bust your butt. Once I hurt myself, she said, OK, what are you going to do when you go? I said, I don't know. I just want to bang girls and drink beer. Right. Um, she said, you have three options. You're going to be a doctor, a lawyer or a finance guy. And I just said, well, what was the least amount of years in school I can get out? Finance, five-year MBA program. I got a double double BS, economics, accounting, got my MBA, and then a minor in philosophy and psychology. So just, I liked school. I liked the, the learning piece of it. But, you know, again, you're not thinking about it. When you're, once you get to, to 23 and you're going into the city every day, working 12 hours, doing data analysis, doing the spreadsheets, blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, going from football to that within a matter of a couple of years, it was like a shock to me. And I think I always knew I wasn't a number person. Like this is something I always tell my, my younger cousins who are like, people are looking for what they want to do in life. Like, where do you start? You start with this. People are either catered towards things. A lot of males are catered towards things, tech, devices, uh, technology, whatever. Or some people are catered towards uh, people. I happen to be a person who's catered towards people. That's why we talk about connection. That's why everything I'm doing now is with my voice and with this connection piece. So. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here taking a lot of notes <laughs> and, and, and the reason I'm doing that is, is so that, you know, when, when you get this podcast, you can find out really what this podcast is about, but I want you to take me real quick and, and it might be the divorce you went through or things like mm -hmm. that. What's the biggest obstacle that you've overcome in life and the lesson that you learned from it? It was the divorce. And I, I would say 
on paper, like I said earlier, you, you, you were looking, if you looked at me, you would say, wow, I built, I built a multi-million dollar home in Brooklyn. I had a beautiful wife. I had everything, but I simply wasn't living the life that I would have architected for myself. To be honest, I, I was doing what seemed right on paper, right? What seems right for people it seems get married, um, you know, make money, blah, 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 blah. This, that, that path, once I was on it, I said, this is not for me. It just wasn't um, you can't do. We all we all have this this kind of innate thing. Even with with the public government, you were talking about earlier. Like we just assume that they know what they're doing. I assumed. Oh, that seems right. I, I, let me listen to everybody and let me just do what 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 looks right on paper. You have to do. And this is what I would say. People, you know, the biggest thing you have to do what is in your gut. You have to do what you are meant to do. I'm not saying I'm not meant to be married. I was not meant to be married at that time, right? I always felt in my gut, um, I want to kind of figure out and, and expand on these little skill sets of comedy, podcasting, entertaining, whatever you want to call it. When I'm 30, 35 on my own timeline, I'll do what is needed for me. And that that's the the big thing I see a lot of people doing now. You just either taking the easy way out or doing what just what they're supposed to tell you. And that was what my life was basically up till my divorce. So my divorce was definitely the biggest obstacle, but it also came with the biggest reward of being this person that you're seeing today and being able to like say, I'm in command of every piece of my life. I wake up at 3 30 in the morning, I have a ton of discipline. I bust my butt, do a half hour of uh, my breath work, an hour into meditation, hit the gym for three hours, run a business, then do comedy and podcasting. It is such a vibrant life. And um, that's something else I never realized. Like once you have your, your instead of being 120% into football, 120% into school, having 80 to 90% of yourself into five or six different things gives your life so much vibrancy, so much color, so much neurogenesis going on in my brain, like just learning and learning. And, and just, it's so, like I wake up now, I'm so excited. Man, that's that is so cool. Being being involved, being eighty to ninety percent involved in five or six things in your life that that's a great key. That's that's a really good key because here's the thing: you can have your hands in so many things that you really have your hands in nothing. Mm -hmm. And 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 it's having that focus and that discipline. So, man, I love that, Scott. I, I ask this of every person on this podcast. I'm going to ask it of you. My last question for you. you've been awesome with your time and been so forthcoming. Share your biggest piece of intentional encouragement with this audience. I would say for anyone who is thinking um, that, let's say the biggest fear in, in, in your life. I call this the dragon. This is the hero's journey. You, you have to go, go attack that fear in your life. You have to attack the dragon because why the dragon has the gold. There is a reason that you have that fear. There is a piece of you that that fear is holding back from you. And by you attacking it, it's going to suck. It's going to be scary. Like for me, I suffered from traumatic stage fright my entire life. That stopped me from doing um, certain meetings and the hedge fund that started. That's part of why I did comedy. Doing, I, I worked on this for the last year and a half. There's no more stage fright. It's gone. And when you attack, when you go up the biggest hill, Everything else after that, you're just pushing a ball down. That's it. So everything else from that point of, of me conquering stage fright um, has been easier. So go go after your biggest your biggest fear, attack it, and do what what is whatever that internal voice is telling you to do. You have to go expand that. When you align your external voice with your internal voice, your life will have a ton of more synergy. You reminded me of a story, and I'll share this, and and we'll, I'll, I'll let folks know how they connect with you. You reminded me of a story. And, and it's not a good memory for me as a Bengals fan. 
it's it's the it's the nineteen eighty eight season. It's the Super Bowl. I forget what number Super Bowl it is. But Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers are playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are up 16-13. There's three and a half minutes on the clock. And Monta- and they get the ball. The, the Niners have the ball deep in their own end of, of the field. They, they, I think they were like on the – they may have been like at 17 or 18-yard line. I, I can't remember the, the yard line. But here's a story I wanted to mention. You mentioned stage fright and being calm in those moments. Joe Montana looks in, in the stands. He's in the huddle, and he, and he looks over in the stands, and he sees John Candy, the late, great comedian. And he goes into the huddle, and he goes, man, there's John Candy over there. How cool is that? They're down three. It's the last drive of the game, three and a half minutes left. In the biggest game of the year, which the Super Bowl is for the NFL, And Montana goes, there's John Candy. He's so calm, cool, and collected in that moment. That's why they called him Cool Joe. In that moment, there was no stage fright. He was like, how cool is that? There's John Candy. And Montana takes the 49ers down the field. They score. Game's over. They win a championship. It's being cool in those moments that you understand what you're really made of. And I love that that what you just shared there about attacking the fear because in those moments, as you know, as a football player, your shorts get tight. There are a lot of guys that their shorts would get tight. Like, Holy crap, we're down three and I got to take us down the field in the Super Bowl. And Montana's looking around like, all right, let's, let's just go down and score, man. I love that. And, and it, and it reminded me of that staying cool in the moment and attacking the fear I love that encouragement. Scott, tell folks how they can connect with you, find the Causing the Effect podcast. Um, how do folks connect with you? Absolutely. You could reach out um, on the website, causingtheeffectpodcast.com. Uh, the email is causingtheeffectpodcast at gmail.com. Um, Instagram, same thing, causing the effect podcast. Type in causing the effect podcast. You'll find me. Any questions, anything. Um, I love connecting with with my fans. I love connecting with the people who just need help. And a lot of them are younger teens that just need a need a little bit of guns. Like I, I think we all do. Um, and I've made enough mistakes to to kind of you know f- figure it out for them. So more than happy to do that. Feel free to reach out anytime. Uh, we'll text. We'll, we'll hook up. Um, anything to help people. That's what I'm here for. So, Scott Gazzoli, man, this has been fabulous dude and i'm so glad that that we got to collaborate on this podcast and uh man what a great conversation we had i'm really looking forward to being on your podcast and uh man i don't know if i'm gonna bring the thunder like you brought the thunder today man but (laughs) you will uh, man you will you you have brought the thunder today scott gazzoli thank you so much for joining me on the intentional courage podcast thank you brian My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.